you Bibles, I'm starting a series today on the family. It's all in the family series is what we are calling it. And I believe it will strengthen your families. And I've entitled it Common Practices Found in Strong Families. And we're familiar with the scripture found in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, where it says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And look at verse 24. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. Uh, why preach a series, you might ask, on the family? Why do that? You know, we're known for expositional, expository preaching, preaching through books of the Bible, verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. So why do more of a topical sermon on the family? And it's because, my friends, the divorce rate in America is higher than any other civilized nation in the world. Uh, the divorce rate among professing Christians is only slightly lower than the population at large. And how, how could this possibly be true when we as Jesus' followers are taught by the Lord Jesus to be loving and giving and moral and responsible and kind and honest and respectful? How could divorce rates be close to the same uh, as regular uh, the world? We need sermons on the family because Satan has accelerated his attacks on the family, on the nuclear family, through liberals and Marxists, in our political system, in our school system, educational system, which not only, there is it's no longer education, it's indoctrination in many schools. And even the news medium. And the family's also being attacked through feminism and socialism and wokeism, which not only is trying to rewrite history, but is also having an impact on our kids. There's critical race theory and other things we could mention as well. But we need sermons on the family because we are losing our children uh, to immorality, drugs, and perversion. And because we have kids killing kids, look at the mass shootings in our country. And a lot of it has to do, I believe, with fatherless homes. And we've kicked God out of our schools and we've uh, ripped the Ten Commandments off of the school walls. And uh, we know that those commandments teach our kids not to steal and not to kill and not to lie and uh, yet uh, it teaches our kids to be men and women of character but we no longer have that and uh, the liberals have tried to even forbid recently a high school football coach from kneeling down on the field and praying and arguing that it might influence our children to embrace christianity and thank god for the supreme court ruling that said he had the constitutional right to do that, to pray. 
It doesn't seem to bother these Christ haters if our children embrace Satanism, but God forbid if they embrace the Christ of the Bible. Yes, I'm preaching on the family because I know that Satan is doing all he can to destroy the family. And the, and the family, if it's destroyed, then our whole nation, the land that we love, it will fall. Because no nation is any stronger than the families that make up that nation. And, and no nation or, or church is any stronger than the families that make up the church. You know, families are different nowadays. Did you know that? Somewhat different. Oh, yeah, there's still the depravity and all of that. But I heard a story about a man who rushed into the store, uh, toy store late one evening uh, to buy a Barbie doll for his daughter. Her birthday was the next day. And the sales lady said, well, we have several different type of Barbies for you to choose from. Uh, this is the tennis Barbie. It's $49.95, and, and this is the ballet Barbie, $49.95, and this is the beach Barbie, $49.95, and, and we have a new Barbie. We just got in. It's called the divorced Barbie, and she said it, it sells for $365, and the man said, what? The divorced Barbie? Why is it so much more expensive than the others? And the sales lady said, oh, it's because she comes with Ken's house and Ken's car and Ken's furniture. Well, if you didn't get it, maybe you'll get it tomorrow. I hope it just doesn't happen to you. In the Old Testament book of Joshua, I noticed that the children of Israel moved into the promised land. The older generation had died. Those that had no faith and believed the false report and, and uh, wandered, they wandered in the wilderness 40 years and those 40 years old and uh, upward died. And they were getting ready to set up their homes as permanent places rather than having their tents that would be taken down every few days like they had to do in the wilderness march. And the leader, Joshua, issued a strong challenge to the families as a leader. And he said in Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And they made a covenant and they gave their word that they would do the same. You know, friends, I've been in hundreds of homes over the years that have plaques on their walls or or maybe over the front door that says as for me and my house we will serve the Lord and and I often think to myself I hope these families to them it's more than just a sign or uh, a nice decor I, I hope it is the basis of their families the basis of their entire lives have you made that a priority in your families? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want to give you this morning some practices, 10 practices that I have observed and found in strong families. And I think this will help your family tremendously. Number one, strong families lovingly correct their children. Even here in Joshua 24, 15, Joshua, I know, says, he uses the pronoun we, as for me and my house, we will serve 
the Lord. And it's obvious that Joshua was a strong spiritual leader in his home. He didn't say, I just, I'm going to serve the Lord. We are going to. Firm but loving discipline keeps order in the home. Without discipline, there, there's chaos. It's chaos when the kids rule the house, folks. Not very wise. Uh, you must establish boundaries for your children. In fact, boundaries say, I love you as a child. And so you need to establish boundaries. And, and if they step over them, there needs to be some consequences. You, you know, even with us as children of God, if we begin to disobey God, Hebrews is clear, if you be without chastisement or discipline or correction, then are you bastards and not sons. You're not a true child of God. Those whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And if you love your children, when they need it, you need to correct them. Children need to suffer the consequences of their bad choices, just like we adults do. And it's important, mother and father, that you do not disagree concerning discipline in front of your children. Uh, well, I, I would let him do that. No, I'm not going to let him do that. That type thing. I'll tell you what it'll do. It'll, it'll tear your family apart. The children will even plot you against each other uh, if that happens. And so discipline, go, take, go to the back room and talk about it if you disagree. Discipline is necessary really in every area of our lives, but especially in the home. And children are born with a stubborn, rebellious nature. They have a depraved nature. We believe in total depravity. Romans 3, I don't know how clear it can get. There's none good. There's none that seeketh after God. No, not even one. And, okay, I know your children and your grandchildren are perfect. Uh, but wouldn't you agree that everyone else's children are rebellious hellions? Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, the hardest whipping I ever got, my daddy was an old World War II veteran. He fought. He helped uh, deliver some Jews from a concentration camp, and, and, and he battled. And uh, he, I, I tell people I had 18 years of basic training uh, when I was born into his family. Dad could whip hard, and he whipped often, and then you didn't get, well, one, two, three, you're out. It, it was one. And, and, uh, but he never whipped me as hard as my mother did one time. I, she only whipped me a few times. I was the meanest kid. Out of seven kids, I was the meanest. But I was about, uh, <laughs> well, I finally got an amen, praise the Lord. <laughs> I was about seven, eight years old, and I was being mean. And I was being rebellious, as sometimes children will be, because I wasn't getting my way. And my mother scolded me with her words, and what really made it worse is my sister, who was older than I was, sided with my mother. And she began to lecture me, and all of a sudden I got angry, as children sometimes do, and I picked up the first thing I could get, and that was a fork, and I threw it at my sister, and I barely missed her head and it hit the wall. And I, I didn't think about, you know, I could have put her eye out or anything like that. And I was in trouble. My mother took off after me and, and I ran upstairs to the bathroom and I locked the door. 
And my mother didn't, I heard her come up the steps, but she didn't say anything. She was so quiet. And I was in there about 30 minutes in that bathroom. And finally I was thinking, mom is gone. And even if, she, even she's, if she's still upstairs, she's probably forgotten about what I did. And so I slowly unlocked the door and I cracked that door and I took one step and all of a sudden my mother grabbed me and she whipped me hard. I mean hard. I never forgot it for at least 10 minutes and I deserved every minute of it. Did you know I never threw anything at my sister after that? Never did. Uh, you don't have to teach your kids to disobey you and to say no. You have to teach them to be obedient. The Bible says in Proverbs twenty-two fifteen that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. And in strong families, limits, boundaries are explained to the children. And then they are told the consequences if they step over the line, if they violate those limits. And if the child trespasses beyond the limits, discipline needs to be applied. You want a strong family? Discipline your children. I didn't say abuse them. The worst thing a parent can do is punishment. To say, I told you now, if you do that again, I'm going to whip you. If you do that again, and 10 minutes later, if you do that again, and if it's not delivered, it's teaching your child that they can get away with breaking the rules. And if you have to discipline your child, don't do it in anger. If a child has violated the rules, gone over the boundaries, it's a good idea to send them to their room a few minutes before punishment is, uh, punishment is applied. And uh, it does two things. It allows that child to think about what they have done wrong and, and why they're being or going to be punished. But I'll tell you something else it does. It allows the, allows the parent to cool down so that you won't be abusive and, and so that you can uh, apply punishment in a loving way. And, uh, and, and give a calm explanation to your children as to why it is happening. Let's go to the second one real quick. Strong families manage their finances wisely. Strong families live within their means. Money problems can tear a family apart. I remember counseling over the years, 42 years, and, and a lot of time one of the main problems in marriages is families that live beyond their means. All financial decisions, especially major ones, need to be discussed by the family. And uh, I know of a man who, he went out and he was already having family problems. This is a true story. And he buys five new guns, two shotguns, a rifle, and two pistols. He, he buys five new guns. And here he's already having final, financial problems. And when he got home, his wife exploded on him. And she probably should have. That's just not wise. 10-10-80 is a good rule to go by. Uh, that means that you go by God's plan. Uh, 
I would say this, there is no his money, no her money. I like the word, plural pronoun, our money. In fact, I don't even really like that. I like for you to realize it's all God's money. For he is the owner and we are the managers for a while. And then we brought nothing into this world and it's certain that we're going to take nothing with us. It is his money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills that the cattle is on. But it's good to go by the 10-10-80 financial plan. And, and really in the New Testament, the Bible does not teach the tithe. You'll find tithe two times in the Gospels. And it's referring to the Jews. Uh, and they were under the 10% tithe. So how, what should we give? Does God teach that we should give in the church age? And the answer is yes, God I think 10% is a good place to start. But we should give as God has prospered us. 1 Corinthians 16.2 And sometimes that's 10%. Sometimes that may be 5%. Sometimes that may be 25%. If you're a millionaire, why are you just giving 10%? Amen. And so we find that it's good to follow the 1080 plan. I uh, give God the first 10%. As you get older, like my wife and I are now, you can up that. You begin to pay off your bills. And, and you begin to help not only the church in a greater way, and the Lord's work, because that's the way God ordained it, through our giving and stewardship. But you also begin to help other needy causes and needy people more. 10, 10, 80 means that you give God 10%, you save 10%, and you use 80% for your expenditures. That's a good game plan. One thing I have found in my life is you can't, can't outgive God. I've got this little shovel, and he's got a big one. He just shoves it right back. And my, my dad taught me that growing up, I, and I taught the same principles to my children, that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And a liberal soul shall be made fat. Strong families teach your children about the importance of giving their money to God for the cause of Christ, to support the propagation and spreading of the gospel, not only at home, but through international missions as well. You want your kids to know that you give to the Lord's work. You want them to know that you give to needy causes. They need to know that you are a giver, that you're not greedy, that you're not stingy. Let them see mom and dad. Let them see that you're not giving grudgingly or of necessity, but you're giving cheerfully. They may not have as many toys as some of the, your friends' kids, but you're teaching them that God owns everything, that we are managers, and that He... He doesn't have all of you until he has your wallet. He doesn't have all of you until he has your wallet. And that it's the Christian thing to do, to give. Your motive should be out of a heart of love to the Lord and to other needy causes. You are teaching them, again, not to be greedy. To have compassion on people. To care for others that may be in need. It's important to avoid buying things on credit uh, unless you pay the card off at the end of the month. 
like I sometimes do. I use a card, but we pay it off at the end of the month. Uh, if you find you cannot pay the bill on your credit card for two months, that card needs to go in the drawer. And better still, you need to just cut it up and throw it in the trash can. The debt trap has snared so many families and destroyed so many families, folks. Strong families work hard to live within their means. Thirdly, strong families share the workload at home. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, He who does not work should not eat. Boy, that doesn't go over too well in America. 50% supports the other 50%. There's a lot of lazy people at home, young people, that need to be out working. I started working mowing yards. I had a drive to be somebody and to work hard as a young guy. I started mowing yards. I take my dad's gas and he'd start to mow the yard or try to get me to mow the yard. I said, Dad, we don't have any gas. He said, I just got gas. He didn't know I was using it all mowing yards up and down Wilson Street and Spring Street. And then I started selling grit. Didn't make anything selling grit. Don't ever sell grit. I don't even know if it exists anymore. Didn't hardly make anything. Then I sold the Martinsville Bulletin, and at 14 years old, I got a special worker's permit, started working for Stuart McGuire, selling shoes and clothes, and I'd go two hours early before school in the mornings, and I'd clean that big warehouse and store, and they'd take me a couple hours. Dad taught us to work hard, and I believe in hard work, and I taught my children to work. Strong families don't let the children lay around all day watching television and playing video games, folks. You're ruining your kids when you do that. We should teach our kids to work hard and not be lazy. Kids that are allowed to be lazy, they think the world owes them a living. The world and America and the government, they don't owe you anything. In fact, it's the taxpayer's money. It's not the government's money. Sometimes we think of the traditional family as a working dad, a stay-at-home mom, and if you can stay at home with your smaller children, especially, that's a, that's a good thing. I, I love that. Because the Bible says that you're to be chase keepers at home, and if you've got smaller children, chase keepers means you're running after them, looking after them. But our society today is set up economically where almost two parents have to work. And if moms can stay at home with their children when they're small, it's a great blessing to everyone in the family, and the children will never forget it. Amen. They'll never, I, I, I thank my mother for being at home with us when I was small. I wouldn't take anything for that. But actually, the stay-at-home mom is really a, a rather late invention because if you read the Bible, you'll discover that the Proverbs 31 woman... Proverbs 31 was a woman who worked also not only in the home, but worked outside the home. She was, the Bible says in Proverbs 31, she was in real estate because the Bible says she bought and sold property. And then she planted a vineyard with her earnings. She earned money outside the home. And yet she also maintained a great home, that virtuous woman. I'm certain that she had help from her family or else she couldn't have done it. Kids, let me tell you something. I wish they were all back in here. Your dad is not a slave. 
And your mom is not a maid. You need to help them. If anything, you ought to be waiting on them and, and not have them waiting on you all the time. And so even stay-at-home moms work hard and, and they need lots of help to keep that house running and going. In strong families, everyone shares the household task. Four, strong families face life's hardships together. Crisis can tear a family apart. And I've seen it happen. I remember a little boy, two years old, ran out of the house. His father backed over him with a truck and killed the baby. Boy, toddler. The family fell apart. The wife blamed the husband for running over the child. The husband blamed the wife for letting the child out of the house. Tore the family apart. Strong families learn to cope with adversity because it comes to all of us. There's not a family in this church that doesn't face hardships, including my own. And families in our church have experienced everything. From children being born with disabilities to children dying or maybe tragic sudden deaths in the family of loved ones, physical handicaps, cancer, degenerative disease, and a variety of other trials and problems that we face. Men's days are full of trouble on earth, the Bible says, as the trial, uh, as the sparks fly upward. And so every family has to face and deal with adversity, tribulation, and all kinds of problems. It's, it's how a family deals with those problems that makes their family either stronger or weaker. And some families cope with life's problems much better than other families. Some just fall apart. And again, they turn on each other. And they devour one another. And yet there's some families when it, the, the going gets tough and adversity comes, they, they stick together and they go through it together. And for those families that cope, it doesn't mean that they ignore the problem or that they flippantly say, well, praise the Lord and act as if it's not there. Strong families face their problems and they depend upon God's grace and his power to help them with it and through it every day. Let me give you another one. I, I wish I had more time to deal with each of these. Maybe I should have had a part one and part two, but strong families have fun and laugh together. You might think your preacher's an old sourpuss, but I'm not. I love to have a good time. Just ask the guys that golf with me. Just ask my children. I, I pick, I clown, I, I, but yet I'm a preacher. And uh, our family laughs a lot when we get together. And a sense of humor helps you to overlook each other's faults and lighten up in the midst of tense situations. Proverbs 17:22 says, "A cheerful heart is good like a medicine." Cheerful heart. I, I mean, a, a heart of laughter. In other words, laughter just makes you feel better. Some health clubs now have a laugh room where people go to, to laugh as a part of their health program. And so now they have a laugh room where, uh, where people go. And uh, they have found that even laughter is very therapeutic. I don't think I would like that, but not that type of laughter. I like it when it's real laughter, you know. 
Uh, so they don't tell jokes or anything. They just start laughing together. I think some churches are starting to do that now. I don't, I, I don't know. But when you laugh, it, it, it's like taking a drug. Did you know that? Uh, the only difference is you can't overdose on laughter. A laugh a day will keep the doctor away. Or was that an apple? Uh, studies have shown children laugh an average of 400 times a day and that adults laugh only 15 times a day. As you get older, folks, don't lose your laughter. Don't lose it. Your, your home will be a better place if there's more laughter in your home. Number six, strong families treat each other with kindness. And I could add love in there and respect. Some people are more polite to strangers than they are to their own family. Some are the, the meanest to their own family. A love and kindness should permeate the atmosphere of our homes, especially as Christians. Fathers, don't allow the kids to disrespect their mother. And when the father's away, mothers don't allow the kids to talk negatively about their fathers. Honor your father and mother, kids. Honor them. Teach them early to, to honor father and mother. And uh, to respect all forms of authority, where, whether it's parental authority, civil authority, uh, the governmental authority, the powers that be are ordained of God, even pastoral authority. Teach them to respect authority. You don't call the policeman a fuzz, you call him an officer. I know that there's always civil and robberies and jealousy, but, but work at teaching the kids even to respect each other. Ephesians 4.32 is a great verse. It says, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And that's a great guide for your family. If you want a healthy family, you must treat each family member with kindness. Kindness is treating the other person the way you want to be treated. That's the teachings of Jesus. There are millions of people who, who need a little kindness, and you can start looking at those needs in your own family. We need some kindness. I was in a drugstore recently. I believe I, I may see that young lady here today, and, and uh, she attends our church. She's not a member. And I went in, I had to pick up a prescription, and I asked her how her day was going. And she said, awful. She says, the customers have been horrible. And I said, this is one customer that is going to be nice to you today. And she said, I know you will, Pastor Lackey. I know you will. People, you know, we can be old grumps and ruin everybody's day. Our word courtesy, did you know that that word courtesy comes from the behavior of people who used to live in the king's court? And there was a code of conduct for workers that included kindness and helpfulness. Men stopped and took their hats off and bowed when a lady approached. And they also opened the door for the ladies in that court, King's Court. Their protocol of kindness gave birth to a word that we use, and it's called courtesy. 
And have you ever heard the word common courtesy? Well, it's not too common in America anymore. I'll just tell you that. There are some women that don't want you to do open the door for them. They may not like you, but I still open the door for the ladies, even if they're feminist. And they look at me and slant their eyes and uh, frown and, and uh, maybe even say, I don't need you to do that, but I still do it. Strong families, I believe, show kindness. They show respect and they practice courtesy with each other and with others. Seven, strong families spend time together. And I'll just touch on this. I've preached on this a number of times. There's nothing like family, folks. Did you know that? Nothing like family. Spend all the time you can with your family. It's been my custom to take my family on at least one vacation every year, all of us together. I, I love it. I mean, the kids jumping all over you and grandkids. And it's generally uh, uh, the highlight of my year. And I, I, a lot of times I will pay for the place, the condominium or wherever we go. But, uh, or the log cabin, but uh, they can do whatever they want. Uh, my, my kids love to go here and there and, and everywhere. And, and I like to just lay back and read a book and rest. You know, as you get older, you, you've seen a lot of sights and you don't care to do that anymore. But, dear Christians, we need to place a pr higher priority on making memories more important than material things. You can give your children all the stuff that you never had. Well, what they need is you. They need time with you. Through the years, if given a choice of family vacation or a new car, I would wax and wash my car and change the oil and keep the old car and just hit the road, Jack. And uh, our memories are priceless. Our memories are timeless in family. Parents, let me remind you that you only have your kids a little while at home and then there's the empty nest syndrome that sets in. So you'd better invest time with your smaller kids and, and a lot of it because you're going to turn around and they're going to be gone. I remember Seth, when he left, it really bothered me a lot when he got married and was gone. And my daughter was the last one. And when she left, I performed the ceremony of both of them. But when I went home and she had left, I went into her little room and there was little stars on the ceiling. And there's all the memories over the years and her graduation and all of that. And man, I started boo-hooing. It just touched me. It's tough when your kids leave. You better spend time with them while they're young. And you grown kids, your mom and dad won't be around forever. You better not neglect them. Spend some time with your mom and dad. Enjoy them while their health is fairly good because the day will come that you won't have them. And unless you make it an absolutely, absolute priority, other people and other activities will rob you of your family time. Number eight, strong families eat meals often together. I believe in this. This is important. Just about every Sunday, if we possibly can, my family and I eat together. And uh, Geneva is a great cook. And that's an understatement. So my grandkids and 
and kids, they have absolutely no reservations or hesitations about coming over. Now, that keeps them coming to the table. I have a feeling if I had to cook for them, they would never come over. But family meals are important. In a time when fast food joints abound, families need to take time to eat together. No TV, no radio, no cell phone. Even if you're a pastor, I, sometimes I'll put it there, but I, I need not do that. You know, it might be an emergency, but just with family. And uh, ask each other how your day has been. Was it good or bad? And most of the family communication takes place, did you know, during mealtime? Did you know that? And if you want to strengthen your family life, you may need to make some changes in your family. Don't have the TV blasting. If your family eats in shifts, or the television is blaring, the cell phone is ringing, or somebody's on a computer, you may want to gather your family together and say, hey, we need to change some things. This is an important time. Because I've noticed something. Strong families have meals together. And then, number nine, strong families hug and express their love. Folks, I hug and tell my family I love them every single day. If I can't see them, I call them and tell them I love them. We, we say I love you to each other every day. And we mean it. We mean it. And, and we said even when we're mad at each other, we love each other. And it all begins with a husband and wife who love each other. And aren't ashamed to show their affection in front of the kids that they love each other. The greatest thing a dad can do for his kids is to love their mother. And this instills a sense of security in the kids like nothing else when you or affectionate toward your wife, at least to a point, in front of the kids. Dads, moms, your kids need to see you showing affection to each other. They need to see that. But they also need to feel your arms around them as well. Seth doesn't like me to hug him, but I hug him anyway. <laughs> Jenna loves to hug me. Grandkids love to hug me. And my wife does sometimes. <laughs> uh, an old man got on the bus. It was February the 14th. Carrying a dozen roses. And he sat beside of a young man. And the young man looked at those roses and he said, Somebody is going to get a beautiful Valentine's gift today. Yes, said the old man. Yes. And a few minutes went by, and the old man noticed that his young companion was just staring at the roses. Do you have a girlfriend? the old man asked. I do, said the young man. I'm going to see her right now, in fact. I, I'm going to give her this Valentine's Day card I got for her. They rode in silence another ten minutes on the bus together. And the old man got up to get off the bus. And as he steps out into the aisle, he suddenly placed the roses in this young man's lap. And he said, I think my wife would want you to have these.
I'll tell her that I gave them to you. And he left the bus quickly. And as the bus pulled away, the young man watched that old man walk into a cemetery. And it's true that dead noses smell no roses. But be sure to tell your family members, I love you every single day. I have one more thought, folks. And this is the most important of all. It trumps all the rest. Strong families put Jesus Christ first. Jesus is a super clue that holds the families together. That there's that one flesh relationship between a man and wife. And we are to leave and we are to cleave to one another. And Christ needs to be at the center. For a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Strong families worship together. Sometimes read the Bible together. They pray together. Jesus is not just a, a welcome guest in the home. He is Lord in the home. Curious Lord in the home. Jesus is to be the center of the family. Jesus is to be the heart of the family. Jesus is to be the foundation of the family. And I'm not just taking your time or saying words. I'm telling you the truth. Yes, Christ is the glue that holds our families together. Christianity is not tucked away in this church building. We shouldn't leave it at the church door. But we should live it out every day, on the job, but especially at home, and even in the voting booth. Church attendance on Sunday morning should not be an option to your children. You can go if you want. You can stay at home if you want. That shouldn't be. You know, one of the flimsiest excuses I've ever heard for not going to church in all my years of ministry in life is this. My mom and my dad made me go to church when I was a child. And because of that, I don't make my children go and I don't want to go. And you know what? I've started responding like this. Well, friend, my mom and dad made me go to church as a child. And I thank God that they did. And I'm still in church. No excuse. That's a flimsy excuse. A satanic excuse. Dear families, you can have all of the first nine that we have covered, but if Jesus is not Lord of your life and Lord of your home, then the few years that you enjoy as a family on this earth will be the extent of your family time together. On the other hand, you may be lacking a few of the other nine that we've covered, but if Jesus is the Lord of your home, then your family can still thrive and be strong and be successful. Your family is the most valuable earthly treasure that you'll ever have. And the only thing that can add more value to your family is when Jesus Christ is the Lord of your home. I challenge moms and dads today to make a fresh and new commitment to Christ. I challenge families to follow the example of old Joshua who said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let us pray.